I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Today's episode has been sponsored by Pediatrician in Your Pocket at dr-gen.com. Dr. Jennifer Trachtenberg is a mother of three and a 20-plus year pediatrician, board certified, who has called all of her amazing advice and made a series of five-minute videos on everything from feeding and sleeping to safety and all types of parenting issues, which basically every parent out there can use, especially in the middle of the night when you can't reach your pediatrician. So this is like a must do. And she's offering a discount to everyone with code PIP20. PIP20 20 is the code to get 20% off of all of her modules. So definitely go to dr-gen.com and check it out. It's also on a link in my website too, zibbyowens.com. I'm excited to be here today with Cheryl Haft, who's the author of A Good Night Boobala. Also, Baby Boo, I Love You, I Love Blanky, and the upcoming Maisie's Amazing Machines. A former product designer, she's the founder and educator of Kids Engineer, an elementary after-school program that teaches engineering principles through design and invention building. The program, originally founded at three all-girls schools in New York City, now runs in the Jackson Hole school system. Cheryl currently resides in Wyoming and New York. So thanks, Cheryl. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled. Uh-oh. So, good night, Bubala. Discuss. <laughs> How did you come up with the idea to write this book? Well, you know, Good Night Moon was written in 1947, and it's such a calm and beautiful book with a quiet old lady whispering hush. But I couldn't help but wonder what that story would look like today. And in particular, what would it look like with my family? You know, my big, not so quiet <laughs> Jewish family. And that's when I realized I wanted to write a book where they would come bursting into this bedtime with, with, you know, singing and dancing with their Yiddish words. And then, of course, with, you know, something to eat, a nosh. You have to. <laughs> yeah. I was having, my son wanted to like have a sleepover the other night. And he's like, now we have to get all of our midnight snacks. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think so. It's like eight o'clock. But anyway, <laughs> so you have written other children's books too. How did you start doing that to begin with? Well, I had worked for Warner Brothers in product design and licensing, and I actually wound up heading up the children's book licensing division, creating books based on Batman and Bugs Bunny. So I became oriented towards children's books early on in my career, but it wasn't until I had children of my own that I started writing stories. Similar to how people write poetry, I just loved it as a creative outlet, creating stories. But it took me probably about eight years until I finally got I Love You Blankie published. And what was that like? Did you do multiple iterations of the book or did you just keep sending it out to more publishers? That book got so close a few times, but it was such a visual book that I finally decided to hire an artist to do a spread and to do the cover. And although publishers traditionally don't like you to do that, they generally pair the illustrator with the, the writer. Somehow I think that helped this particular editor see what I meant about the book, because it's very much about a child, like Harold in the Purple Crayon. Mm -hmm. It's very much about a child using his blankie and sailing the seas, flying to the moon and parachuting down into bed. And I think once she saw that, she realized that she wanted to publish it. That was it, Little Brown. And did you did you do any of the illustrations ahead of time for this book, for Goodnight Booba? You know, I think as I was trained as a designer, I always write in a sketchbook. Hmm. And I draw my ideas with no intentions of that representing the art, but I'm a very visual writer. So yes, I mean, I've basically drew out Goodnight Bubbola with this, my crazy little Jewish stick figure family. <laughs> <laughs> How did your family 
respond to this book? Were they thrilled? Honestly, I think my family is so touched by this book. My family was very touched by the Holocaust. We have family members that are still in Europe and actually are still sort of part of the diaspora. Because of World War II, I had family that wound up in Israel, in Australia, and in Germany. And this book has touched them all. It feels a little bit like we've kind of regathered our family together uh, and connected it back to our history. Where did your family come from originally? Did you start in Germany, all of you, and then? No, so my family was originally from Poland and from Russia. Wow. And were any, can you talk about, is this okay to talk about? Oh, yeah. Were any of, were parts of your family in the camps or? My father's father came here because he was pursuing a career in acting and dancing. (laughs) And in the late 1930s, when the war broke out, he had a newsstand on the Upper West Side. And even though he didn't make a lot of money, whatever he could, he sent over to the ghettos in Warsaw. And that's where my family members were. And three of those children survived. They were actually in Auschwitz. And the three family members survived and as came out of the camps as teenagers. Oh, my gosh. It's, yeah, and now we reconnected. We didn't actually know that until 1969 when we got a phone call. And who my father got a phone call from a man who had become wealthy, a builder in Germany, and he called and said, I'm your cousin. And we reconnected. So it's it's a very, very meaningful part of our family to connect back to the Yiddish language and to the Jewish roots. And that's somewhere in this book, they're in there. Wow, it's like a book of healing too, right? It's like a, mm-hmm. it in is. a way, I don't know, connecting and healing. It, and It is. I, I've read this book to an 86-year-old woman And it made me realize that picture books could be so meaningful for seniors. I mean, she teared up. She said, this book reminds me of my family, of my own grandmother. So it's been such a surprise to see how it evokes nostalgia and emotion for people. This is also an excellent new marketing outlet for picture books. I know. That's fantastic. Right? I feel like I really want to go to assisted living and to, you know, to to sort of connect with the elderly. It would also be nice for them to write books for each other, you know, like give everybody a pur- more of a purpose. I feel like at that time, at that stage of life, sometimes there's not. But if there was like a whole imprint for elderly, right? I don't know. No, you're so right. I mean, we all love the little preschool books that our kids write and dictate. You know, they're so charming. But I think you're right. I think there's something there. Right? And they have time to read. Yes. Right? It's not like, yes. I feel like so many books are marketed at the busiest people, right, during the busiest stages. And then people forget. Like, what about, what do they want to read? Although I have to say my grandmother is 96 and she reads like all the bestsellers. Does she? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, so she wouldn't probably, but she would love this book. I have to, next time I see her, I'm bringing it to her. Oh yes, please do. God willing. But the Yiddish language, let's talk a little more about that because you have so many of these words that I know I grew up with and are just like, I say without thinking and yet people are like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Like, what, you're Michigas? Like, what are you talking about? Like, What? (laughs) So, and yet you have them all in, in the book, or so many of them. Are you worried? Like, do you worry about Yiddish becoming completely obsolete? Like, do you think it's only now? I mean, it's something that has to be passed down in families, basically. There's no, you can't go to a Yiddish class, I don't think. And I don't know. What do you think about it? I know you're right. I mean, I happen to have gone to Camp Kindering, which was sponsored by the Workman's Circle when I was growing up. And I mean, even in what they, sort of their version of Color War, we had to, we had Maccabean games. Mm -hmm. And I remember like trying to teach half the camp, you know, this song in Yiddish. And so I learned it from 
an early age. I mean, my grandmother would take my face in her hands and just say, you know, Shane upon him. So I always associated it with something expressive and warm. You know, of course, around New Yorkers, you sort of hear people saying, what a schlep and don't kvetch. I just think the, the language is so vibrant and so expressive. I mean, as a children's book writer, so many children's books have not more than 500 words. Goodnight Bubble only has, I think, 141. And so the power that Yiddish words pack is just such a special language. I think that many young families, maybe they're not interested in being religious, but there seems to be a sort of a retro interest in culture and this idea of learning some of these words and being able to pass them down to your kids, I think is very timely. I think so too. Yeah, and then like the Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway in Yiddish, the fact that that's sold out and then shows like Stissel and then there's mm-hmm. a YouTube video that's sort of viral called Yid Life Crisis. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, I have to show that to my da- my daughters. Of course, like most tweens obsessed with YouTube at the moment. So <laughs> maybe I could at least point her in the right direction. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I also love that you included the Me and My Miss Pacha family journal on your website and all these other resources. What made you think of that? I printed that out for my kids to <laughs> complete. I know. Thanks for doing that. Yeah, no, I have it downstairs. Well, I learned in my last two books that people love to be able to close the book and then have an activity. Of course, we have this recipe, which is wonderful. Yes, I meant to talk about that too. But for teachers and parents that, you know, aren't don't have the time to cook. I was very interested in having ways to extend the lessons and to have fun with the book. So my niece is an early education teacher, and she talked about the materials that she wished that she has or she wishes for books. And the two activities, one is for when you're reading the book, the I Spy game, mm-hmm. and kids seem to love finding something that's red, finding the mouse, mm-hmm. which is a fun treat. And then after the book, the Me and My Mishpacha journal gives a chance for kids of any heritage to reflect on their family, to share their family's favorite activities, their favorite foods. And I think to honor the idea that everybody has families with their own, with its special idiosyncrasies. That's for sure. <laughs> and tell me about how, so Ina Garten wrote a latke recipe that you include in the book. How did that happen? Is she a friend of yours? How did, how did, just how did that happen? I, Ina and I became friendly a couple years ago. We met socially. And I talked to her about my kids' engineer program. And in particular, at that time, I was making solar-powered ovens out of shoeboxes. And I had just been making s'mores that week. And I think because Ina is, of course, a wonderful cook, but also part scientist, she just was so interested in the work that I was doing with kids' engineer that we just started talking and spending more time together. Over breakfast, one morning, I was reading her a few lines of the book. I was telling her about it. I think I read, you know, two little bubbies schlepping their hubbies and one (laughs) dozen bagels and a pot of canadles. And she just burst out laughing. She thought the book was brilliant and important. And she said right then and there, I'm going to make you a locker recipe. And she did. So it was not even an existing latke recipe. She just crafted it for you and you got to put it in. That's awesome. Well, I mean, I learned through that that Ina is part scientist. She made that latke, even though she'd made latkes before, mm-hmm. she made this particular one 12 different ways, you know, in a cast iron pan, in a Teflon pan. She had thought about doing it in a waffle iron and she she got it right. Wow. 
And then she threw you that wonderful lunch party, which you were so nice to invite me to. It was like amazing. Like the people were like, well, what was the food like there? <laughs> I mean, she and her husband are, have become good friends of my husband and, and mine, and they are just so generous and wonderful. And they had offered to do that party. And I think she had a lot of fun deciding which foods to serve and did a lot of research, you know, finding the best black and white cookies around the city. And then... And she picked Greenbergs, right? Which I would agree with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were amazing. (laughs) But then also making, I think, well over 200 of her own rugla. And then, of course, the latkes. She's amazing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wait, tell me more about Kids Engineer and how you started that. You know, I was... A design major, I was always interested in building inventions and and inventing things. And I came across a curriculum called Engineering is Elementary, which comes out of the Museum of Science in Boston. And I thought, what a wonderful after-school program that would make. So I got trained in Boston in that program and then brought it to three different all-girls schools in the city. And for many years had an after-school program called Kids Engineer. Now, because I'm not full-time in New York, I still do the workshops in Jackson Hole in the elementary schools. And did you just bring this curriculum to the schools, or did you actually teach the classes? Uh, No, I first brought it to the science departments, Mm -hmm. and they were really excited about it. They said, this is what kids need to be doing, like more sort of prototyping, trial and error, experimentation. So the science department was super excited about me doing that as an after-school program. But I, I taught all the classes, and I still do. Oh, you teach them all yourself? Yeah. That's I so had a, great. another teacher that trained at Brearley, mm-hmm. and because with all humility, it was so popular, we had to double up and had two of the same classes because I think kids loved it and parents loved their, their daughters learning about engineering. What if somebody, like, what if I want my daughter to do that? Like, is it gone? Like, how does somebody get it now? Like, will you come back? I know. <laughs> um, I, you know, the curriculum is actually very accessible. Engineering is elementary. It's actually a binder that you can order from the Museum of Science. And you can do some of that stuff at home. And they have a lot of even workshops and curriculums that you could download. So I would take a look at, I think it's mos.org. Okay. And how did you end up spending part of your time in Jackson Hole now? My husband and I were ready for an adventure. At the same time our last daughter was leaving for college, we were sort of jealous and we thought, okay, well, what's our what's our adventure going to be? And I was able to bring kids engineering to Jackson Hole and also continue my writing. He started to have a lot of work on the West Coast. So it sort of made sense for us to plant a flag there. And we both always loved the outdoors and the mountains. And it's been very invigorating. Especially when there's 500 inches of snow in the winter. Oh my gosh, (laughs) I like can't even imagine. Do you have plans for more children's books? I do. This is a dream come true, being able to both write for children and then also to share my books. I'm about to embark on a book tour. This Saturday I go to Houston at a lot of the family festivals. And I really make my events interactive I'm always there with a musician. I've had two songs created for the book. And so we not only read the book together, but we we dance and sing along. And I teach the kids a lot of the words. So it's such a joy to sort of see the book from beginning all the way through its presentation. My next book is actually a book that I sold in 2015 to Nancy Paulson. And it's just taken a while to get 
the right illustrator and the right illustrations. It's called Maisie's Amazing Machines, and it's a little girl engineer. And I have to say, the artwork has been worth the wait because Jeremy Holmes is amazing. And I think we look forward to sort of having a brand new character on the scene and having a character that could help teach kids about engineering principles. Very cool. And are you writing anything new? I'm always Aside from all of that yes. stuff? Because that's not enough for me. So keep going. Here, did you like any of my ideas? I loved your ideas. Yes. <laughs> so here are some of my titles. The Little Yenta That Could, Are You My Mamala, <laughs> If You Give a Shiksa a Schneckin. <laughs> that's all I could come up with. It's funny because in writing Goodnight Bubbala, I looked a lot at the joys of Yiddish, Leo Rostin's book. And if you read through that book, you just see like, 90% of Yiddish words are sort of like negative. <laughs> you know? A lot of them are, there are 10 different ways to call somebody a simpleton. Like what a, what a shmendrick, what a shlemiel. So I did have in mind kind of the, the dark side of a book where you say something like, you know, instead of where the wild things are, where the Michiganas are, mm, some kind of crazy book. One. But I'm always writing. I'm always, I have about three different manuscripts that I'm working on right now and a couple other characters that I'd love to, you know, bring out into the world. It's exciting. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? SCBWI has been a mainstay, not just for me, but for all the writers that I know. It's and the so- Society, Society of Book Illustrators and uh, SCB, Society of Book Illustrators, <laughs> Society of Book Writers <laughs> and Illustrators. And I mean, they have chapters all over the country. They have two really fabulous conferences, one here in New York, generally in January or February, and then one in LA in August. And being a part of SCBWI has been empowering. They have wonderful professional series in New York where you get to hear from editors, writers, and illustrators. Conferences are very inspiring. The second thing I would really advocate for is getting involved with Highlights Foundation. And I've gone to workshops there at their campus in Pennsylvania. And you get your own little writer's cabin and wonderful food in the barn and a chance to often meet editors, work with other writers, and really work on your craft. Mm. Is that like Yado for children's books? Yado, like the artist colony where you go and is it like that? Is it, it is. like a retreat? Like a Yes, it's a retreat. I mean, you can go to one of the regularly scheduled workshops. You can even go and rent a cabin out for a couple of days on your own. Hmm. And it's, it's really affordable. It's, hi- it's the Highlights Foundation, like from Highlights Magazine. Oh, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, it's a really, really special place. And actually, that's where I met Nancy Paulson. And okay. um, she wound up buying my engineer girl book and also my previous book on um, baby boo I love you wow you have a favorite Yiddish word to end this <laughs> conversation I love oi and oi ve it's so flexible it can be used to show empathy like if you tell me you had a hard day I can say oi you know I'm so sorry it could be used as like a happy form of expression if you tell me your son just got into college I can say oi congratulations <laughs> so it's so versatile I'd have to go with oi and oi ve I would pick mensch, I think. I feel like I use that word a lot. Oh, you beat me. Mensch is better than all of them. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> My husband is a producer, and he's we've been working on this movie getting made called The Mensch. What? Yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> I mean, the, the last line of my book is, you know, good night kisses, yeah. good, night, good night stars above, good night bubble my mensch, my love. And it is this wish that when you're putting your child to sleep that you're, you know, hopeful that they will be a mensch. So nice. Well, thanks so much for coming on Mom's No Time to Read Books. Thank you, Zibby. <laughs> Such a pleasure and an honor. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, the award-winning podcast. 
Today's episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books was sponsored by Pediatrician in Your Pocket by Dr. Jennifer Trachtenberg, dr-gen.com. Enter code PIP20, PIP20, for 20% off of these can't-miss modules that will make your parenting life so much easier. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Bye.